Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. A second scripture lesson from the New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, as well as verses 11 and 12. Again, I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith during all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. To this end, we always pray for you, asking that our God will make you worthy of his call and will fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Inspired by that reading from 2 Thessalonians, I'm focused today on grace even though we just heard a very angry word from the prophet Isaiah in our first scripture lesson read by the beetle. Our beetle, Parker Gilbert, read this passage from Isaiah where God is saying to the people, I cannot endure your solemn assemblies. My soul hates your festivals. They are a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you stretch out your hand, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Why would God say these things? Because our hands are full of blood, God explains. Because we must wash ourselves, make ourselves clean, remove our evil deeds from before God's eyes. We must learn to do justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. On and on, God says to us through the prophet Isaiah, if you expect me to listen to you, you are going to have to do better. Now, what does such a message of judgment have to do with God's grace? Let me tell you that there is a difference between grace and cheap grace. Have you ever heard that term, cheap grace? The great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a hero worthy of celebrating today on this Sunday we call Reformation Sunday, wrote that cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It is baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. On the other hand, costly grace. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. 
It is costly because it cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. In other words, cheap grace is accepting that God loves us despite our imperfection, which is absolutely true. God does. But don't be afraid of doing something about the imperfection. Cheap grace is settling for mediocre. Cheap grace is entitlement. Cheap grace is going to bed without flossing your teeth. Speaking of dental hygiene, the last time I went to the dentist, the hygienist asked me if I had been flossing. I told her, I just flossed last night, which is true, but I had not flossed the night before that, nor the night before that. Immediately upon walking into the dentist's office, I wanted to hide what I have not been doing. I was taking comfort in what I had going for me. At the dentist's office, I already have going for me uh, strong teeth, which I inherited from my father, and the fact that I brush my teeth twice a day. So what if I floss sparingly? So what? Why hide what is broken from the one who can help us be better? Why rely on what we're doing right while ignoring what could be more pure? If we are saved by grace, we cannot be afraid to look sin in the eye. Sin is holding us back from abundant life, and grace can give us the confidence to deal with it without fear of condemnation. Everyone fears condemnation. So why hide what needs to be fixed? We must get over that. We can't hide what must be fixed. Uh, in this place, we try to work against the tendency to hide what is broken by, by standing together to boldly confess Sunday after Sunday in that prayer of confession. This morning, we prayed before God and one another, imagining that you are weak. I confide in my own strength. Imagining that you are distant, the worries of the world threaten to undo me. Imagining evil's power is greater than yours. I tremble before the prince of darkness. That's what we prayed this morning, and, and I write these prayers, these prayers of confession each Sunday that I preach. People ask me where I get the inspiration to write the prayer of confession Sunday after Sunday, and I tell them, well, I just look in the mirror I look myself in the mirror and I try to be honest with myself about what I'm struggling with. And in this prayer, in this prayer, you can see that I am struggling with confiding in my own strength instead of relying on God's power. That's a bad habit to get into. Bruce and Fran Myers gave me a plaque that says, pray first. Quoting Philippians, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. That plaque on my desk has been such a good reminder. I love it because when I face a trial, my first inclination is to try and fix it myself. I confide in my own strength, which is foolish. I worry over everything. I tremble before the evil in the world rather than ask God for help. 
Asking God for help is what confession is. Asking God for help. Today, I get the truth of my struggle out in the open, which is hard to do, but it's also wonderful because when I tell God the truth, His grace washes over me. Grace is what enables confession. We can confess because we trust in God's grace. When we rely on God's grace, we might just gain the courage to be honest about what's broken inside of us. That's something that we must do as individual Christians, and that's something we must do corporately as a church. So Paul wrote our second scripture lesson to the church in Thessalonica, saying, we always pray for you, asking that our God will make you worthy of his call and will fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wrote. But how? How are we to be made worthy of God's call? How might we live according to the grace of our God? I tell you, we must remember that God is ever ready to forgive, but we must be ready to confess. We must look in the mirror and remember that we are simultaneously sinners and saints, inheriting a legacy from our foreparents, which is both their virtue and their sin. Can we hold on to the virtue while confessing the sin? Well, of course we can. Today on this Reformation Sunday, we remember Martin Luther, who in Germany did exactly that. 500 years ago, he broke from the Roman Catholic Church. In doing so, he tried to hold on to what was virtuous about his tradition. He valued the scripture the church gave him. He felt connected to God through the sacraments. All that's on the, on the one hand, so the church gave him gifts on the one hand, yet he hated the idolatry the church passed down to him, which was the sin. That was the sin he was trying to get rid of. He didn't deny that it was there. He faced it and he called it by name. Boldly, he confessed. He wrote that the church was guilty of idolatry. And he nailed that confession right on the side of the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, getting the sin of the church just out in the open. We are called to continue this tradition by doing the same thing, by examining ourselves and the patterns our foreparents passed down to us. For we cheapen grace when we're afraid to deal with sin. We punish ourselves when we never confess. We sell ourselves short if we never examine the way we live or the tradition that we inherit. So on this Reformation Sunday, I remind you that God does not expect us to be perfect. Instead, God calls us to rely on His grace. And so we must examine the history of our church Founded by 12 families in 1835. We must examine our tradition just as Martin Luther examined his. 
from our ancestors? What will we keep? And what sin must we confess? On the one hand, our foreparents deserve our admiration. The first members of this church broke ground in what was then a frontier town. Later, just 96 of them built a sanctuary to seat 400 people. Many dispute that number, saying, you can't fit 400 people in our sanctuary. Uh, given the size of rear ends in 1854, I promise you could. But while we are called to follow the example of that handful of people who built the sanctuary to seat 400, we must also remember that most likely in 1854, the ones who laid the bricks, plastered the walls, and raised the steeple were among the oppressed people who labored without pay. That's sin. What do we do with their sin? I tell you, we take the virtue and we confess the sin. We confess that what they did was wrong and we promise to learn from their mistakes knowing that grace, costly grace, enables us to look ourselves in the mirror honest about what is good and what must be better. Part of Reformation Sunday is freely admitting that about our heritage, that not all of what we inherit was from perfect people. They were not perfect, neither are we. So Martin Luther confessed that the idolatry he inherited was sinful. We confess that slavery was sinful and not all of what we inherit is worth holding on to. Whether it comes from our foreparents here at the church or from our, our personal parents. Speaking of what we inherit from our parents, last week, which has been a week full of funerals, I heard Ken Farah tell a story about his father, Ralph. On a long car ride, his dad, Ralph, once told his son, Ken, I'm afraid you're not going to inherit much from me, and I'm sorry about that. To that, Ken said, from you, Dad, I've inherited character, integrity, Strength. Yes, maybe I inherit your temper, but I've also inherited your heart, and especially I've inherited your faith. Hearing Ken say that got me thinking about what I've inherited from my own father, from whom I've received good teeth and a bad hairline. I've also received from him a heart of compassion, which I will always strive to emulate. Like all of us, my dad had to think about what he would inherit from his father. Growing up in Atlanta, my, my dad was the kid in the scout troop whose dad never showed up to anything. Yet to me, my dad became the father who was always there. My friends, today we stand in a long line of Christians. We stand in a 
great line of faithful men and faithful women, but as we think of them, let us remember that faithfulness is perfectly embodied by those who live according to the grace of God and know how to confess their sins and be changed. We are not perfect. So let us wash ourselves and be made clean. Let us remove the evil deeds from our lives. Let us learn to do justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And while we're at it, let's brush our teeth before we go to bed. Let us live according to the grace of our God. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.